But the last couple of weeks we've been talking on righteousness. And righteousness is right standing with God. And thank God that that's what Jesus came to give us, is to give us righteousness. And, um, you know, uh, people, people look at scriptures like all of sin and come short of the glory of God. That's true. But Jesus came. Hallelujah. Amen. Jesus came. All had sinned. All had fallen short of the glory of God. There wasn't one of us that, that murdered anything from God. Everybody sinned. But you know what? Just keep reading the book of Romans and you find that Jesus came and he died for, for the ungodly. And you know what? And made us righteous. And God was just in doing it because he did it righteously. Because God is a righteous and a just God. And the reason we're righteous today is because Jesus took our sin. He took the price, the punishment and all of it. He was just in doing it. Perfectly just. He's a, he's a righteous and just God. And he, did, he went about it right. Um, Jesus became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But you know, without that understanding, without that revelation, we'll never reign in life. And we looked at that the last couple of weeks, that it's only through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness that you can reign in life. And you know what, if we don't understand that gift that we have of righteousness, we'll never reign in life. And then I was looking last week how that grace reigns through righteousness. That's how it comes. It comes through righteousness and, and grace is God's supply into our life. It's his empowerment into our life. It's, it's what God do, can do in our life that we can't and it comes to us freely. It's unmerited favor and it comes to us. But you'll never experience that unmerited favor in your life to its full, full without a revelation of grace. Amen. It's just and a revelation of righteousness. Because it's through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness we reign. And then, as I said there in, in, in Romans 5, it also says that grace reigns through righteousness. And I was saying that last week, it's like a scart lead. That, you know, what you, you have your video, um, or your DVD, not video now, but your DVD re- recorder, and you have your TV. But it doesn't matter why you have a, D- a DVD recorder and uh, a million CDs, and you have a TV. If you don't have a scart lead, you can't watch you know, it has to go through that. And it's the same God in, in Christ Jesus has provided everything for us in righteousness. And, and provided everything for us in the grace of God. It's all there. But you have to have a revelation of it. And when you have a revelation of your righteousness, grace can flow through it to your everyday life and affect your everyday life. And so as we've just been looking at the last couple of weeks. But you know what? Really, when it comes down to it, um, Jesus came to give us righteousness. And, and it's hard sometimes for religious people to actually turn around and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because we look in the mirror and we see our flaws. But God doesn't see you in, you, in you, what you see in the mirror. God sees you in your spirit. God sees you in Christ. And when God sees you, he just sees you just like Jesus. Because you have accepted him. And now you're, you're, you're in him now. And you are the righteousness of of God in Christ Jesus. I just love that revelation. I really do because I know it's it like to live under a sin consciousness as much as what I'll be sharing on tonight and a righteousness consciousness. Okay? I thought Donna was giving me a signal there. I thought there was code coming. Yeah. All right, okay. Um, thought she was telling me something. I've stood up a couple of times and my zip's been down and everything. So uh, you have to just be on guard all the time. So I'm safe. I can continue. Anyway, um, I was going to say, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to be talking about um, a sin consciousness and righteousness consciousness. Really, the, the two of the pose and consciousness is there. It's not even the word consciousness. And but 
You know, you can be under sin consciousness or you can be under righteousness conscious. And you can be, you can have that consciousness of who you are in Christ or you can be conscious of who you used to be in Adam. Amen. But we need to be conscious of who we are in Christ. And that's what Romans 5 is letting us know. Is two people affected our lives. Adam made us all a sinner and brought us all into condemnation. It wasn't our sin that made us a sinner. It was Adam's sin that made us a sinner. We weren't a sinner because of anything that we did. It had nothing to do with our works. And being righteous has nothing to do with your goodness. Amen. Amen. And it was all about Jesus. So it was one man got us in the mess. One man got us out of it. It was one man's disobedience that made us sinners. It was one man's obedience that made us righteous. So you don't become righteous because you're good. This is where people have the problem. They think you're trying to say you're bad. No, it's actually a humble thing because you you know in yourself you're not righteous in yourself. You know you don't deserve it. None of us could live up to it. In actual fact, all of our righteousness was filthy was a filthy rag before God and our righteousness is, is our doing our performing us trying to live up to God's standard but none of us can do that and if you do live down that line you end up just being judgmental of other people who don't live up to your standard you end up being judgmental of people who don't live up to your standard but here's the reality it doesn't matter it's not about living up to your standard or my standard or somebody else's standard it's about living up to God's standard and there's none of us could do that but Jesus came and lived a perfect life for us and died and took our sin and took the punishment for our sin took the guilt took the condemnation took the shame took it all took every aspect of sin he tasted death for every man so that then we could become righteous. Amen? Um, you know, there's, a, there's, a, a, there's many different viewpoints on righteousness, but here's just one, a, a viewpoint on righteousness. It's just what I'm thinking about it here. Um, there's imputed righteousness. And some people believe in imputed righteousness, but they believe that, you know, um, it's just uh, like in type you're righteous, but you never are. And that's why a lot of people still stay with sin consciousness. Because it's just like, you know, Jesus was imputed your sin, but he never actually became your sin, but it was just put to his account. And but then you're imputed righteousness, but you're never actually imputed righteousness. You're still an unworthy sinner, say a big race. That's where that mentality comes from. But I believe in imparted righteousness. I believe what Abraham had was imputed because Jesus hadn't died. But I believe we have imparted righteousness. That's where Jesus was imparted. He took our sin. It was actually tasted death for every man. He actually took it. And we got his righteousness. It's actually imputed. It's more than imputed. It's actually imparted. It's actually in you. So it's actually, that's who you are now. So that's why in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, it says, He who knew no sin was made to be sin." for us that we might be made we're made righteous made the righteousness of God in Christ not just, it's not just put on your account but you actually are not righteous but God will treat you like you are no uh, you actually are righteous because Jesus came and paid for your sin in full he tasted your sin so that you could taste and be a partaker of his righteousness it's actually given to you and that's why now that old man is totally gone and you'll never live and enjoy righteousness unless you see yourself dead to sin so you can't truly live until you first of all see yourself that old man is truly gone and it's truly dead amen you have to fully die that sin man you have to allow it to fully die 
so that you can now embrace your new life and live out of righteousness and not drag around a corpse wee everywhere you go saying I'm still no longer unworthy sinner saved by grace no it's, it's like when the caterpillar leaves that cocoon he stops being a caterpillar he's not a caterpillar anymore he was a caterpillar but now he's a butterfly and we, we used to be an old unworthy sinner but we came through the cross and we were become a new creature in Christ Jesus and when you come out you come out a butterfly so why would you live your life with caterpillar thinking now that you're a butterfly well it's the same way why live our life thinking like Adam who we were in Adam when we can think out of who we are in Christ amen but you know consciousness is, is important because having righteousness consciousness is, is where you keep the awareness that you are righteous with you every single day you live out of it. In other words, it's your identity. You live out of who you, who you are now. You know, it's one thing to know something. And I, I always put it this way. I just, I just love the Donegal Catch ad, advert. But you know what? Some people have heard about righteousness or maybe have a CD on righteousness or took notes at one time on righteousness or had a book one time on righteousness. But it's in a file in a filing cabinet. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's not what they live out of every day. Mm. What you live out of every day is what you're conscious of. Yes. And it's not, it's not in a file anymore. It's in a big frame and it's on the, the, the forefront of your mind. To where it's before you, where you live with the awareness of what Jesus done for you every single day. And you don't see yourself as that old, old unworthy sinner. That man's dead. And you see yourself now as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you start to see yourself in Christ not in Adam. That's a position. When you're in, in Christ, you live out of that identity of what Adam gave to mankind. But when you're in Christ, you live out of the identity of what Jesus came to give us. And you live with the awareness of it. It's like, um, you know, the children of Israel, when they went, went to possess the promised land, or were, they came out of Egypt into the, the wilderness, and God said, send in spies and check out the land. And they came back with a report. But you know, Joshua and Caleb came back with a different report than the other, the other spies, the 12 spies. There was 10 came back with the bad report, 2 with a good report. But you know, them 10 spies came back and what they, they seen everything. But you know, it was sort of speaking a file in cabinet. They seen all of the good that God said that he would give them and they knew that this was a good land that they were going to come into. They were going to live in houses they did not build. They were going to draw from wells they did not dig. And they were going to enjoy plants and fruit and all of this kind of stuff that they didn't plant. They didn't plant any of it. They were coming into a rest, into a finished work. But you know what they were conscious of? The giants. They were conscious of the obstacles. You see, you can know the promises of God, but what's on the frame of your mind, your consciousness, is actually the problems and the obstacles and why it can't happen and why it'll never happen. Is that what you're conscious of? Even though you know what the Word says, but what are you conscious of? That makes sense. You see, Joshua and Caleb seen the problems, but they had the problems in the filing cabinet. And they had the promise right in front of their mind and saying, we are well able, not in themselves. They were saying, God will bring us in and God will, take, will give us this land. And they're bread for us. They're we buns. Let's go in and take this land. Let's eat them up. We'll do it in God's strength. But you know what? They were conscious. The, um, the, the spies said that, you know what? We are grasshoppers in their sight. And, 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 and so we are in our sight as well. They said in their sight and in the giants' sight. They presumed that they were grasshoppers in the giants' sight. They didn't know. 
But they presumed that. But here's the thing, they were conscious of the problem. They were not conscious of the promise. Same with the children of Israel. I spoke on that the other night um, on David, and, David and, and Goliath. But the children of Israel at that time of the battle, the children of Israel, the armies there, and, and Saul, they were conscious of Goliath. But David was covenant conscious. David was con- conscious of his relationship with God. And that's what he was conscious of. You know, conscious, when you talk about your, your conscience and being conscious here, what we're talking about today, we're talking about what's in the forefront. What do you live out of? What's in the forefront of your mind? What is it that's hanging on the wall of your mind right up at the top? Not in your subconscious way down lower, somewhere away. It's in there, but it's way down lower. But what are you living out of? Do you know, we're meant to live out of righteousness, consciousness. That's what we're meant to live out. out of. We're meant to live out of who we are in Christ, amen? And what Jesus has done for us. And we're meant to be aware of that and live out of that. And know it in our lives, amen? Let, let me look over for a second here in Romans 3. I'll just have to call these out this evening. But in Romans chapter 3, do you know, uh, um, man became conscious of sin in the garden. Because when Adam fell, we know the story, I'm not going to go back there, but you know what, Adam used to be able to, you know, just come into the presence of God and enjoy it, and himself come in and enjoy it, and just enjoy being in God's presence. But you know, when Adam sinned, he hid himself from the presence of God, because his conscience woke up, and he knew there's something wrong here. And he, he, he hid himself from the presence of God. And they tried to cover themselves. And you know you can't cover yourself. You know you can't cover your own mistakes. Only God can. And so God came down and he killed an animal and, you know, shed blood. And he clothed him. And really that's a type of Jesus. That it's only through Jesus' blood that our sin can be forgiven. And it's only through Jesus that we can be clothed again. And um, that's what he came. He came and, and took away our sin rags. And he gave us righteousness. But it's only done through Jesus Christ. But you know, man's uh, uh, knows he's a sinner, okay? Knows he is. But I'm telling you, here, here's something I want to show you here for a second. Do you know what really um, compounded that revelation is the knowledge of the law? That's what compounded that revelation in man. Um, and that's why anybody that's been brought up any, and trying to, around any religious kind of upbringing is. I mean, pestered with sin consciousness. So aware, it's so ingrained. But I tell you, sin consciousness really has affected people so much. And if you've been brought up, as I say, under a religious kind of a system, I'm telling you, you even know it more. You're, you're, you're made aware of your sin over and over and over and over and over and over again. And that's why many times even Christians can become so sin conscious because they sit underneath the law and they become judgmental and then they judge others. And it all it's just conscious of sin all the time. But there's never a mention of Jesus. No mention of what Jesus has done for us. Just our sin and our failing. But, that, but I'm telling you, Jesus took all of our sin and all of our feeling. And, I, and here's, a, here's, a, here's a crazy thing. Sin is not a big deal anymore. Amen. Amen. Praise God. And people say, I, I'm desperate to say that. I mean, sin is not a major deal anymore. I'm not saying go out and sin. But I'm saying sin has been paid for. I tell you, before Jesus came, sin was major. It was major because none of us could get out of it. 
But I'm telling you what Jesus done was so much greater than what Adam done that sin is not a big issue anymore. Jesus came and he paid the price and he dealt with it once for all. And that's what I want to just share here for a minute this evening. He dealt with it once and for all. But you know, if, if you've been brought up under thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, sin consciousness is so ingrained. It's like it's so ingrained on the hard drive of our mind. That it's like it's filtered through everything. There's some Christians can't have fun. They can't laugh because they even think laughing's sin. It's, it's down to your clothes. It's down to your expression on your face. It's down to your haircut. It's down to the way you wear makeup or don't wear makeup. It's, it's down to music. It's down to It's so ingrained into everything. And then even as, in our approach as Christians, as I said the other week, you come before God to pray. And boys, it's like coming in as a beggar before a harsh God trying to squeeze his hand open to get something out of his hand but God wants us to come boldly before him by a new and a living way come in like you belong in the presence of God like he's if you he wants you there because if he's not going you're not going to come in he's just going to start pointing out everything wrong in your life in actual fact God will not even put the spotlight on you he'll put the spotlight on Jesus and it'll actually he'll, he'll see in him so much goodness that you'll want to change to be like him that's, that's the difference I thank God I'm not under old covenant thinking today. Amen. Um, Romans 3. And just here's a couple of things with the law here, just for a second. And this is why sin consciousness gets in, and it gets ingrained, and it's hard to get out of. Anybody that's been in sin consciousness, uh, I mean, it just... We, we know many of us that have, have experienced it. It just gets into everything. But God wants us to be righteous conscious. He wants us to be aware of what Jesus has done for us. Amen. And even people say, well, that's okay for, for a Christian. What about someone that's not a Christian? Well, Romans 5, or sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, and right down there to, to ver, from verse 17, right down to verse 21, it lets us know that our ministry today is the ministry of reconciliation. And when we go out to the world, we're not to go out there um, telling people that God's holding their sin against them anymore. We're meant to go out there and preach that God is not imputing their sin to them anymore. He imputed it to Jesus. The price has been paid. Receive Jesus. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for you. He died for all. You are included. He loved you so much that he took your sin and he's given you righteousness. And I don't no matter what you've done in your life, he's not holding it against you. Yeah. But no, we go out and we start telling people about their lifestyle and their, you know, as Christians, uh, you know, what the, how they live and all of that. That's not going to set them free. Yeah. It may be truth. It may be something that's real in their life, but it's not going to set them free. What's going to set them free is the gospel, and the gospel is good news. And the good news is that God is not imputing your sin to you anymore. He imputed it to Jesus. Amen. The imparable, that's just a doctrine there, but the term there, okay, the he imputed it to Jesus so that you could have righteousness. We talked earlier about imputing power. That's, that's theology. Okay, That's just terms that are used because people like to break it down to, to take away the truth of the fact that Jesus became sin so that we could become righteous. But you know, even our message to the world is God's not imputing your sin anymore. And yet, so many times we preach sin to the people. Yeah, people need to know that they are a sinner. Get the point, let them know, and then tell them how good God is and flood them with God's goodness about how God loves them and he's not holding their sin against them anymore. Amen. That's great. It's an awesome message, it really is. Um, 
And I'll tell you, I'm only hitting the surface of, of this message. I'm just throwing this in because we're talking about glory and uh, uh, to rule and reign in life. And to do that, you have to have an understanding of righteousness. Um, but here in Romans 3 and verse 19, it says here, Now we know that whatsoever things the law says, it says to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law doesn't bring knowledge of righteousness. It brings knowledge of sin. It brings knowledge of sin consciousness. In Romans 7, Paul said, I wouldn't have known lust except the word, the, the law said, thou shalt not covet. But he says, but here was the problem. When I heard thou shalt not covet, you know what I started doing? Covet and everything. Lust came alive. And Paul said, I was alive once without the law. But you know, when I heard the law, sin revived and I died. What's he basically saying? When you say to someone, thou shalt not, there's something in you that says, I shall. And what, it's, and what Paul's saying, it's not, the problem is not the law. The law is not the problem. The problem is man. Man's the problem. The law is holy. The, whole, the law is just. It's God's perfect standard. The problem is, is you can't keep it. The problem is, is man had a flaw of sin. But God gave the law for the purpose not to, not, not to save us because the law can't save anybody. And not to make anybody live a certain way or live up to a holy standard. Because in actual fact, the law wakes sin up. The law is not sin but there's problems in man and when man hears the law all of these wrong things start coming alive but here's another thing comes with it condemnation and guilt and shame and all of those kind of things um, let, me, let me just look over here as well in Roman, or sorry, 2 Corinthians 3 2 Corinthians chapter 3 kind of funny using the Bible here tonight in the sense of uh, one with in a book it's usually using my iPad and having my Bible on it um, but Second Corinthians chapter 3 when it talks here about the law again it says here in um, here's something that's really great here in verse 6 it says who also hath made us Paul was talking about them ministers of the new covenant not of the latter but of the spirit, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. You know what Paul said? As a minister, he says, I'm not a minister of the law. I'm not a minister of the old covenant. He said, I'm a minister of the new covenant. And I tell you, we need to be ministers of the new covenant, not the old covenant. Not giving people a letter, because the letter kills. Verse 7, but if the ministration of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly um, and behold the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away with, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation, that's the law. The law was an administration of condemnation. It condemns, why? Because it gives a knowledge of sin and it exposes every weakness and every flaw in our life and what it does just keeps condemning us to the point where we become so ingrained with sin consciousness that you can't even enjoy your life. You can't even do, no, you, you do stuff for your kids and you feel guilty as in just going out for the day because, you know, someone will condemn you or you'll feel condemned that, oh, I, I shouldn't have spent that time with my kids because I could have been spending that time praying. But you were praying that morning, but no matter how long you pray, it still was never enough. 
Doesn't matter how much you read the word, it was never enough. Why? Because there's always more to do. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. It's all do, 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 do as well. Do this, do that. Don't do this, don't do that. And after a while, you're just, you know, it's just, it gets ingrained in everything. I watched over the years, even people, as I said earlier, laughing. And I'm not, I'm not joking. Over the years, I've seen people laugh and then nearly feel guilty because they laughed. But you really like that was irreverent? Or, or if you're, uh, especially if you laughed in church. Because you nearly were repenting for laughing in church. You know, God's not a sarpus. Well, I know there's a time and a place for everything in a sense if there's a right time to do it. And a, you know what I mean? But even you do it at the wrong time, God's not a sarpus. But what I'm saying is sin consciousness can get so ingrained in everything that it actually, it's like a virus in that sense, well, a computer virus that it gets on every file. And no matter what you do, you have sin on your conscience. conscience. It's always there. It's always on the conscience. But I'm telling you, Jesus, what he done for us, if we understand it, it'll remove that sin consciousness and give us a righteousness conscious, consciousness. Amen? Here again in 2 Corinthians 3. Yeah, in verse 9 it says, For if the administration of condemnation be glorious... Here's the new covenant. Much more the administration of, administration of righteousness shall exceed in glory. Do you, know, do you know the New Testament ministers are not meant to be reminding people of their sin. They're meant to be reminding people of their righteousness. That they are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. An Old Testament minister preaches law which gives knowledge to sin. That reminds people of their condition over and over and over again. A New Testament minister is to remind people of what Jesus has done. And for um, the saved and the unsaved, for the unsaved that God is not holding your sin against you you can come freely and receive the greatest gift of all and God is so delighted that he's running to you with it because uh, he loves you so much he's not coming pointing a finger he's running with like the prodigal son's father saying I'm glad you came home throw a party and, uh, and he's not going to wreck up your past or anything because Jesus took care of it he can come say God what about this and what about that and he'll say what about Jesus what about Jesus? Amen. And, you know, and for a Christian, we're to be reminded of now what we have. We're to be reminded that we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Righteousness will empower you so that you come free from all of that stuff. That's why the Bible says to awake to righteousness and sin not. Some people think if you teach righteousness, you're going to empower people to sin. No, it's the total opposite. You give people the power over the things that hold them back in their life because righteousness is, is, is the ability to do it. Seeing yourself the way God sees you, not come beggarly before God, defeated with sin consciousness, but come and knowing that God's made you his child and that you are his and that you can rule and reign in life. What an attitude. We should be reminded that we have right standing with God. We should be reminded that all of our sin, past, present, and future tense has been wiped out at the cross. And God's not holding our sin against us anymore. It's not, it's, it's not on, our, on our credit anymore. It's not, it's not imputed to our account anymore. It has been totally removed. We don't need to, to bring around those letters of debt, so to speak, of sin consciousness with us everywhere we go anymore. Jesus, so to speak, paid our sin mortgage and wiped it out so that we can live free and enjoy him for the rest of our lives. Amen? 
Um, but that can only come through a revelation of righteousness to be able to enjoy that. Amen. That's the only way. That's the only way that it comes. Let me put it this way. Here's, here's what sin consciousness is like. Do you see, see just outside um, on the road, just at the turn off to our house, there used to be a speed camera there. And you know what? That speed camera was there for years, the whole time I can remember driving down that road, that speed camera was there. But you know what's been removed? Do you know what sometimes we do? Drive up to it and still put the brakes on, coming up to the speed camera. The speed camera's gone, but do you know what? I have a, a memory of it. So a speed camera that's not there anymore still affects me. And the one I would say that affects me the most is there's one on the motorway. And like, as I'd always been um, driving, driving up, the, up that motorway, and I'd know that the speed camera was there, and I'd automatically slow down coming up. And I'm not saying I don't drive overly fast, but I would check. Dan is laughing because I'm a snail, okay? But um, but when I'm on the motorway, I sometimes give it a bit more welly. But when I'm going up, I I automatically over the years I would always look at the the speed and see what I'm going and I would just take the, the paddle off and I'd slow down coming past it but you know that, ca- that camera's been removed you know I still I still do that there's not even a camera there and I'm taking my foot off of the accelerator and putting it on the brake and coming, making sure I'm, I'm always going past below. I don't go past just at the speed limit. I'd always go down. I'd go down and come past it slower than it, and then I'd speed up again. Some advice that, isn't it? But, <laughs> but what I'm saying is this. Jesus removed your sin. He removed the speed camera, so to speak. And we're still living like, we've all, like as if God's still taking shots of us every time. You know, and holding it against us and taking photographs. And he's going to show them throughout all eternity, all our feelings. In actual fact, Jesus removed it. And what we've been left with has been righteousness. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The, the sin issue has been dealt with. The sin man is dead, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6. And now we're to live in a new life. Not, not dragging around a dead guy with us everywhere we go. Amen? We're not to live conscious of that. We're meant to live conscious of what we have in Christ now, our new covenant. To where the Bible says our sins and iniquities he would remember no more. No more. Do you know who remembers? Satan. And he's the accuser of the brethren. He reminds you your mistakes and your failures and your sins. He reminds, whispers in your ear. He remembers. But God remembers no more. Tell you who else remembers? Sometimes people that we know. People we grew up with. They sometimes remember and they'll remind you of your, your sins. But you know who won't remember? God. Your sins and iniquities, he'll remember no more. And then sometimes we even remember. And you know what that is? Sin consciousness. Remembering what has been removed. Remembering what's dead. But you know what it is? It's because we have a memory. And we still play that in our mind. Our feelings and our life and what we have done but I'm telling you God doesn't have the DVD of it or the CD of it or whatever he doesn't have it of it and he doesn't play it why? because he remembers our sins and iniquities no more amen no more I'm just going to read out a I need to stop here would I 
Let me just look over in Hebrews, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna close here. I'll maybe refer to this again next week. But in Hebrews, I just want to bring this verse out here, and, and we'll we'll close. I'll maybe take this up again, but just in, in Hebrews 10 and verse 1, it says, "For the law having a shadow of good things to come." Getting a bit dark, is it? Okay. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually. It's talking here about the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament they had sacrifices over and over again. They had daily sacrifices, and then they had a yearly sacrifice to death atonement which is what it's referring to here. Later on, it talks about the daily sacrifices here. But you know that the yearly sacrifice that was offered on the Day of Atonement, it could never take away sin. And you know what? Every time you'd come every year, and they would have the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, out came two, two goats, and one was taken into the wilderness, and one was killed. One had all the sin pronounced upon it in type and was taken out into the wilderness. The old one got the throat cut and, uh, and the blood was taken into the, the, the Holy of Holies. And the one who took it in was the high priest. And the Bible says there he went in once a year. Once a year he went in. But you know what? Every time they would do that, you know what? Next year we'd be back round again, doing the exact same thing again. The following year, back round to doing the exact same year thing again. You know, you'd live your whole life having sin covered and sin covered and sin covered and blood being shed and blood being shed and sin being covered and blood being shed and sin being covered for your whole life. And you know what it kept reminding you of? Sin. That it was not dealt with. And that the blood of bulls and goats wasn't powerful enough to deal with sin. So it's a continuous thing. But here's, here's what it says here. It says, um, which they offered year by year. Um, it says they can never make the comer thereon too perfect, or it couldn't save you, couldn't change you. For then would they have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged would have no more conscience of sin. See, this is the difference between what Jesus did and what the Old Testament sacrifices couldn't do. The Old Testament sacrifice, there was sin offerings and different things going on all the time. The Day of Atonement, your sin being covered constantly. It was just like it was brushed under the carpet, but it was never removed. Never removed. But you see, when Jesus died, he died once for all <laughs> that's not just for everybody that was for all time and when we have a revelation of that do you know what happens sin consciousness leaves and you become conscious of the fact that he died and he paid the price and that price was good enough to do away with sin forever people often say you make little of sin well, I think a lot of people make little of the sacrifice that Jesus made. 
I have more faith in what Jesus done than what Adam done. I have more faith in Jesus' sacrifice than Adam's failure. I have more faith in Jesus' one sacrifice than all of the blood sacrifices of the Old Testament that was offered throughout the Old Testament that could never remove sin. But you see, whenever Jesus died, that was one sacrifice forever. Boys, if we took a hold of that and lived out of that, we'd stop living out of guilt. And we'd stop living out of shame. And we'd stop coming before God as a beggar. And our past wouldn't hold us anymore. And we'd be free to run and do what God's called us to do. Amen? Amen. You know, I just, I just, I just leave us with that this evening. What are we living out of? Sin consciousness? Or righteousness consciousness? Are we conscious of what Jesus done for us? Are we conscious of that one sacrifice that has purged our sin and sanctified us forever? Forever. Amen? Forever. When you receive Jesus, sin's dealt with. And I'll tell you something else. The Bible says that we have eternal redemption. And do you know what Ephesians says? Ephesians says redemption is the forgiveness of sins. I'll tell you, we have eternal forgiveness of sins. Eternal redemption. Why? That's how powerful Jesus' sacrifice was. That's how powerful his blood was. Totally dealt with all of our sin, obliterated it, and now we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Righteous consciousness. Conscious of the fact that we can come before God, accepted, loved, justified, just as if we had never sinned. Amen. Or ever will. Amen. Ever sinned or ever will. Why? Because sin's been paid for once in one transaction forever. Amen. Praise God. Father, we worship you tonight. Lord, we thank you for righteousness tonight. Thank you, Lord, that you have made us righteous in your sight through the blood of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that we'll honor the blood, Lord, and respect the sacrifice. Lord, knowing what Jesus has done for us doesn't cause us to want to run and do the things that you don't want us to do, but it actually causes us to want to love you more. Lord, we'll love you for all that you've done for us. You are a good God, a good Father, and we love you tonight.